Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And the new episode this week is about happiness and the big question, can money buy me happiness? This episode, however, is going to be a little uh, something from the Wayback Machine, uh, one, uh, one from our Seven Deadly Sins series about greed and the science of greed. And uh, so we decided to replay this episode because th- there are obvious connections between uh, between greed and what we, we take for greed in human behavior and that uh, and the idea that money is going to give us happiness and that the things that we that we want are going to make us happy. Yeah, that's right. So we thought this would complement the next episode. In the meantime, as you listen to this, you are going to hear us talk a bit about the jerky behavior of luxury car drivers. (laughs) And we wanted to mention that there is a newer study out, 2013, that actually pinpoints seat design as the possible culprit for behaviors from luxury drivers like running stop signs and so on and so forth. turns out that the seats are more expansive. And if you think back to one of our uh, episodes on expansive postures and how mm-hmm. they can make a person feel more powerful. Like a king on a laid back on a throne, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. As some luxury cars have that kind of seating, that throne-like seating, then you can kind of see how that might actually change someone's behavior in the car. Interesting. So the the individual who's in a fancy car is in a fancy seat, and that fancy seat allows him to to lounge about and feel superior to everyone else else around them. That's right. I'm yeah. so fancy. I don't need this stop sign. That, <laughs> I think that's the thought bubble. Now you were telling me when you encounter a jerky rider, you you have a reaction that lines up with this research. If I'm driving on the highway and I generally speed anyway, and there's someone behind me who's super close, mm-hmm. I tend to reach out and put my my arm reach it across the other seat as if you know I'm on a date and I'm the alpha male. <laughs> And I've noticed my behavior in doing this, and I think that I'm just trying to signal, like, I'm not intimidated. (laughs) So maybe there's something here to that. It it brings to mind two things. First, there there might, I wonder if there's an added level of them having poor posture in these, uh, in these reclined positions. And maybe if they're, you know, they're all lounged back, they're also less happy and less, uh, you know, less, less secure in themselves. Uh, as they're driving, whereas somebody that's in a less comfortable seat is maybe setting up a little more straight with their uh, with their chest uh, puffed out, and maybe they're they're going to have a little more uh, a little more confidence and just a, a, and less likely to, to lash out at those around them. Maybe and less greedy, perhaps. Maybe. Yeah. Let's find out. The third circle of Dante's Inferno is uh, is where the gluttonous uh, hang out. And the fourth circle is where the greedy hang out. To be more specific, this is the circle of avarice and uh, prodigality. It's, it's interesting. Uh, Dante is really down on greed. It's not like one of these sins like lust, which he has a lot of sympathy for. Well... Um, because he's human. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, he has like, like he, he he has a lot of sympathy for some of the individuals and he, he has encounters needs, in Inferno. Yeah. Is what I'm getting to. He has he has needs. Mm-hmm. But uh, when he encounters the greedy, uh, he's it's it's a lot harsher. He divides it up. You have the prodigal and the more typically miserly greedy. So the prodigal, they're reckless spenders. They're, it's coming in and it's and it's going out twice as fast. Uh, I think that's something we can all 
uh, if not relate to personally, we can uh, we can we definitely witness in the world around us. And then you have the uh, the, the truly greedy, the hoarders and the misers, the ones that uh, that take the money, hold the money, that are just in it for the money itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when Dante and his guide uh, Virgil show up in Inferno, first of all, they're greeted by Plutus, which is the god of riches, with a little a little Pluto god of the underworld thrown in because you know, you know the underworld, underground, that's where gold and silver come from. And he's bestial, he's full of rage, and he's babbling, and he's saying "Papi Satan, Papi Satan, Alipi," which is kind of just. Nobody, there's a lot of discussion about what in the, the heck that means. Yeah, I'm going to say, like, Poppy Satan sounds a little... Poppy Satan, Poppy Satan. Uh, yeah. Gibberish. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a sense like maybe it's something papal, because certainly there's a lot of discussion of sinful popes in uh, Inferno. And then Satan, of course. But uh, but this is actually one of the few instances where Satan is actually mentioned, because when you actually encounter the big uh, demon himself, mm-hmm. the bottom of Inferno, he's referred to as Lucifer. So anyway, back to these sinners. So you have the spendthrifts. And the misers, and they're all. Uh, first of all, they're all so shabby that you can't even recognize them. Like uh, Dante is all like, "Ah, I'm probably going to look around here. I'm going to know some people that I met know from life." And, is that your Italian accent? Uh, uh, very mildly, my okay. you, your Italian is much better. And uh, Virgil's like, "Nah, you're not going to you're not going to recognize anybody because everyone's so twisted here from their lives, from their their earthly lives, uh, full of of greed and and overspending that, that you're just not going to be able to recognize." Is that part them. of the punishment? Um, I don't, it's not as much a part of the punishment. It's just kind of like the reality of the, like the, like spiritually they're deformed from this They've life of grotesque. Greed. Yeah. Okay. The the punishment itself is that they have their. It's kind of a joust between the spendthrifts and the greedy. Uh, except instead of having like you know swords or spears or any kind of typical jousting equipment, they are rolling large objects against each other using only like their chests. And if you look at the illustrations provided by um, Gustav Dore, the large objects that they're jousting with are giant money bags. So if you imagine these like oh, okay. these hideous-looking, like naked people, and they're all sort of like pushing big money bags, rolling them around with their chest into each other, and arguing with each other, and calling each other's other names, and so there 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 are no demons um, staffed here to punish these guys. Uh, they provide their own punishment to each other. Okay, so it's like a scene from Eyes Wide Shut. Well, no. No. <laughs> well, you know, okay, maybe more accessible is the illustration that you sent me, and it showed a lucky cat oh, atop yes, a yes. mountain, and the mountain was, um, there was a little trail going mm-hmm. to the very top where the lucky uh, cat is perched, and there's uh, mice with big hunks of cheese weighing them down as they bring it to the uh, the lucky cat. Yes, I will. I will link to this in the the blog post that goes with this podcast, in case you're interested in seeing that. But there there are many um, artistic interpretations. Now, if one goes into Dante's Purgatory, uh, and this again is the mountain that connects Earth to the uh, to Heaven and that the Lucky Cat sits on. Well, you're you're <laughs> you're complicating the matter with Lucky Cat at this point. There's no Lucky Cat in this thing. Okay, it's just a mountain. If you say that so, it connects Earth and hell beneath it okay. to the heavens above. And if you travel up the mountain, each terrace purges you of a sin so that you'll be clean enough to enter heaven. Mm-hmm. So the fifth terrace is where you would purge yourself of uh, all this greed. And you do it by li- lying face down on a hard rock floor, weeping and praying uh, until the greed has washed away from you. That's your punishment? Yeah, it's kind of... Oh, it's not a punishment, remember. It's a, it's a cleansing. It's okay. Well, it seems kind of weak sauce. It is It is kind of weak sauce. I don't know. Maybe Dante just wasn't bringing his A game when thinking about greed. Yeah. I mean, he's really down on it, but it's it's 
it's not like they're like you know boiling rivers of blood and feces. They're just dudes uh, in hell pushing bags of money against right. each other, and, and here a lot of people praying. Or the so, eyes being sewn shut, as in with MV, right? That was yeah, one of the yeah, punishments. Yeah. And there's some ghastlier ones ahead. But um, let's look to Buddhism real quick. Again, before we get into the real science of all this, in Buddhism, greed along with delusion slash ignorance and hate is one of the three poisons at the heart of all suffering. So if you look at the center of the Tibetan Wheel of Life, the Wheel of Samsara, which we have an excellent interactive illustration of in the uh, How Stuff Works article, How Sky Burial Works, if, if you look at the center of this wheel, you'll find three animals, a pig, a cock, and a snake. And they are all biting each other's tails, forming a ring. And each of these three animals represents one of the three poisons. The snake is hate. The pig is delusion or ignorance. You see it referred to as, as either. And then the cock represents greed. It's interesting how in, in Tibetan Buddhism, greed is very central to everything that is wrong with life here on Earth. And just as a side note, some people are really into, like, crazy burgers. I think it would be, it would be fascinating if someone were to concoct a burger that contains three meats, snake meat, pig meat, and rooster meat. And then you could have it be the um, the, the three-poison burger, or the, the burger that is the root of all suffering. Well, isn't there already the turducken? It's kind of like the turducken, except um, it's responsible for all of man's woes. Ah, okay, yeah. so it's more of a symbolic. Yeah, and it'd probably be a pretty heavy lunch, too. So. Yeah, so yeah. I'm just throwing that out there if anyone wants to create such a blasphemy. Or if, if uh, n- you know, next Thanksgiving when that rolls around, yeah. you can take your turducken, which is a turkey, chicken, and uh, duck all rolled together, right? Mm-hmm. And you can offer it up as a way to consume the sins of the past year. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that would go over really well at Thanksgiving table. Yeah. You know? People don't think about that. So that's kind of the, uh, there's the religious introduction. And both of these examples are very down on the the idea of greed. That it is this poisonous thing. It is this this awful thing that, that distorts the soul and renders us unrecognizable in the afterlife. That is responsible for all of this pain around us. But then there's another way of looking at it, right? Uh, well, more yeah, of a I modern mean, view, right? A more uh, materialistic view. Are you talking about Gordon Gecko? Yes. Read from us from the book of... Uh, of Gecko. All right. Gordon Gecko, the character in Wall Street. We're talking t- high 80s here, 1987. Yes. And uh, I don't know if I can do a Michael Douglas voice. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, greed is good. Greed works. Greed is right. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms, greed for life, money, love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge in mankind. And greed, mark my words. We'll save not only Teldar paper, but the other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Greed um, also fights stains. That's yeah. that's right. I've got yeah. a greed stick at home. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is an idea uh, that isn't too far away from reality in uh, certain uh, eras of our existence. Certainly in the 1980s, you know, accumulation of wealth is something that a lot of people are concentrating on. And there is this idea that greed is this sort of evolutionary birthright that uh, we can't evolve without continuing to amass more and more and sort of step over each other in order to get to it. Yeah, I mean, and you can go with the, I mean, the classic argument that stuff like envy and greed, these are the, the motivating forces of ambition. And we need ambition in life, like on some level. Greed maybe is good because I need things to live, right? I need a little money, and a little more is maybe even a little better. So I should want those things, right? Yeah, but it's the excess part, right? Yeah. 
Okay, so there's this guy named Andrew Lowe, and he is the Harris and Harris Group professor at MIT and the director of its laboratory for financial engineering. And in a 2009 interview with Freakonomics, he commented on the unprecedented era of wealth just recently that we have, right? Um, and he said that, quote, extended periods of prosperity act as an anesthetic in the human brain. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. here's one reason why greed isn't so grand, right? Um, essentially, he's saying that all of us who were trading in on the real estate-based financial bubble uh, were in a quote, drug-induced stupor that causes us to take risks that we know we should avoid. And he's saying, basically, that monetary gain, and we've, we've seen this before, certainly in the laboratory, is uh, it stimulates the same reward security as cocaine. And in both cases, again, we've talked about this all, you know, over and over in terms of the sin, sins, dopamine is released into the nucleus accumbens. Um, and then the opposite of this, this is really mm-hmm. interesting, financial loss activates the same fight or flight circuitry as physical attacks, releasing adrenaline and cortisol in the bloodstream. So, I mean, here you have different sides of the coin, but certainly you've got dopamine and you've got adrenaline on the other side. Mm-hmm. And all of this is tied to finance. Okay, so it's kind of like, again, using the drug example, a young man takes cocaine and then writes a really horrible song. Or gets a real, or is really into an idea that is just dreadful. Uh-huh. Likewise, the young man who has a financial success for a short amount of time, during that success, everything's so great, he decides I'm going to buy a sailboat. Right. Right. That I kind mean, of thing. I'm going to I'm going to blow my money on this. I'm going to spend it on this. I'm going to do this because things are great. This couldn't possibly wear off. Uh, and, and of course, both individuals. Uh, quickly find that uh, the sensation does wear off. Right. I mean, basically, this is deadening that part of your brain that, I mean, not literally deadening it, but certainly the part of your brain that is thinking about the long term is now Mm -hmm. offline. And, you know, your short-term brain is like, hey, do whatever. Like, let's go buy a boat. Sounds like a great idea. Um, So it would make sense that uh, in terms of economics, uh, there's something happening in the brain that really feeds into greed. Okay, so this question comes up. All right, uh, greed. Everybody is greedy to to some extent or another, right? Um, But who could be the greediest jerks out there? Is there there an actual answer to that question? Who could be or who? Who might be. Who might be. Who might be. Like who out there in the world is the greediest jerk? Yeah. Well, one would, I mean, if you're going with the stereotype, you're looking at people like your Gordon Geckos, mm-hmm. like your Scrooge McDucks, like, you know, the individuals that have so much, it's an addiction, you know, like the money, the money unto itself is an addiction. Okay. So yeah. bingo, wealth corrupting, right? Yes. And you're right. This is, uh, you know, somewhat of a cliche, but there are some scientists who decided to put this to the test or rather psychologists. Paul Piff of the University of California at Berkeley, he conducted seven different studies, seven different uh, scenarios, really, testing out socioeconomic levels and ethics, Mm -hmm. wondering if, indeed, wealth corrupts. And I'm just going to highlight a couple of them because I think that they're interesting. Um, But I should point out that all seven scenarios, the, the overwhelming evidence is that people with higher socioeconomic levels tend to have uh, dodgy ethics, or that, okay. that was the, the conclusion that was drawn from this. Um, there was a study in which uh, uh, Piff and his team monitored traffic at a four-way stop in San Francisco, and they noted all the makes and the mo- models of automobiles, because that's a really good indicator of your socioeconomic level usually, right? Right. Um, so guess who more often than not cut the other drivers off? 
the fancy cars. Fancy cars. I mean, overwhelmingly. Okay. So then there's another study that they did, and this was uh, they had test takers asked to imagine themselves being very rich or very poor, and then given an opportunity to take candy from a jar that would next be delivered to children in another lab. <laughs> so like really like taking candy from from a baby. Right? Uh, see, all I can think of is the Simpsons episode where. Um uh, well, of course, Mr. Burns is another, I mean, if not one oh, of the yeah. classic examples of the the stereotypically rich, miserly, awful person who's been totally corrupted by wealth. But there's an episode, of course, where he, he actually steals or attempts to steal candy from a baby. Well, right, there you go. Yeah. He, he, in this um, study, certainly would have borne out the results. But so, again, here, here you see the people who are imagining themselves as very rich somehow distancing themselves from their action and saying... And taking actually more candy than the other people who imagine themselves is very poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, seven of these different scenarios, uh, and you'd have to have many more studies in order to have more conclusive data on this, I think. But I, I think at least it gives us an idea of the direction yeah. <laughs> of, of what happens when you are ex- uh, exposed to extreme wealth and the sort of distancing that you experience. You know, I'm not sure the... The lab full of babies or children actually need that candy, though. I mean, well, I have to say, that. I thought that too, because I thought, well, I might be like, hey, you know what? I, those Tootsie Rolls, that kid doesn't need it. Nobody yeah. needs to go to the dentist. And, and what uh, kind of candy is it? Because expensive. there's there's candy and there's candy. Like if it's if it's like um, you know dental <laughs> office bank Mm-mm. suckers or yeah candy corn, then by all means let the children have it. But if it's upscale candy that's clearly designed for a more sophisticated adult palate. Then, then I'm not sure <laughs> taking it is really the bad thing. I, I agree. I agree. Um, but uh, there, there's this evolutionary psychologist, and he's a consumer researcher, and his name is Vladis Griskovicius of the University of Minnesota. And he says this work is important because it suggests that people often act unethically, not because they are desperate and in the dumps, but because they feel entitled and they want to get ahead. Okay. So that well, could be uh, that's a valid exactly point. what I just did. I, I laid out my entitlement for the fancy candy. That, they, that it, this candy would be lost on these children, and therefore, I'm re- I, A, I'm doing them a favor because they don't need it, and B, I am the intended audience for this candy. So I, I've, already, I've already rationalized stealing candy from a baby. It's a, it's a great day in my life. <sighs> you know what? All your gold rings with your diamonds were kind of shining pretty <laughs> brightly. Can you kind of just take a couple off there? <laughs> Mr. Moneybags. Um, okay, so what is the opposite of greed? Well, not necessarily opposite, but uh, a reaction that you might have to greed. Revulsion? Revulsion, a sense of injustice, right? Yeah, because we, we were discussing this the other day. Like, like there's something particularly foul about greed, especially when we, I mean, well, pretty much only when we glimpse it in others, because when we glimpse it in ourselves, we tend to, like everything else, we tend to find uh, more enlightened ways of, of understanding it or lying to ourselves about it, you know? But when you see greed in another person, it's like, I mean, it all boils down to money, right? And mm-hmm. money on, on, a, on a very crucial level is not real. Like, even when you're dealing with, like, gold coins, it's just, it's all, it's all ultimately kind of arbitrary. I mean, yes, there's, there's a great deal of numbers and mathematics backing it up, but it's all, it, none of it is real, you know? And then when, right. when we, when we, when we raise that, uh, this abstract thing, this unreal thing above, uh, everything else that is real in life. When we place this uh, in this this made up money above the the heads of very real people, it's terrifying and awful and absurd, right? Well, when the fantasy of this right yeah. becomes grotesque 
and you can't really see the reality around you, right? I mean, it clouds your vision of your ability to actually accurately sense what's going on around you. That's yeah. when I, th- when I think, you know, you make decisions that, uh, perhaps in other people, uh, it creates a sense of disgust. Yeah. Because all of a sudden you become this person who is a caricature of yourself to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. There's something called the ultimatum game. And it's interesting. It, the premise is, okay, I have $10 that I can share with you, Robert Lamb. Okay, $10. Any way I choose. Okay. Okay. If you accept my offer, then we both keep my proposed shares. If you reject my offer, neither of us sees any of the money. Oh, wait, now what's the offer? Okay. Um. Okay, I have $10. I will give you a quarter. A quarter of the money or just a no, quarter? No, 25, 25 cents. cents. Okay. And what do I have to do? I mean, you just can you can take it or you can leave it. Well, in that case, I I would take it because twenty five cents is better than no money, right? You are so rational, but most people would actually re- reject it. Huh? Yeah, because you would think uh, like the rational thing to do is to say like, um, you know, sure, now we're both richer for this, right? But there's a sense of injustice going on. Like someone might think that's not really like fair. Like why are you keeping nine seventy five and I'm getting twenty five cents? Right. But I didn't do anything to earn it. You just you have ten dollars. You're giving me twenty five cents, and I'm and, and if you give me that twenty five cents, I'm halfway to getting something out of the office snack machine. All I have to do is find one more quarter, and I'm going to be rolling in granola bar. Okay. Well, if you were a, a normal flawed person, okay, you would say. No, I'm going to penalize you for your stinginess. Now I'm not going <laughs> to, like, neither of us are going to get anything, right? Yeah. Really? That's weird, huh? Yeah. So I, even I mean, it's understandable. You, I, I, can totally, I can totally get it. But. Yeah, like I have, and it is, in, in a way, if you think about it, um, it's sort of a power structure, right? Because if that person has the money mm-hmm. and they're offering it to you, how do you get your power back if you have nothing, if you don't have really... Uh, any choice in the matter, right? So I guess I could I could conceivably make the argument. Well, why don't you you know you're keeping nine seventy five? Why don't you just give me one quarter more, and then I can go ahead and get that granola bar? Instead, I'm I'm tempted. I'm with half. I'm here with half a granola bar. Uh huh. Basically, that I can't eat. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't know what you're going to get for twenty five cents, honestly. Yeah, not, yeah, not much. yeah. You start to think about that, and what happens in your brain? Uh, the anterior insula starts to get activated, and this is the area associated with negative emotions. Hmm. And this has been seen by Jonathan Cohen. He's a Princeton neuroscientist. Uh, the interesting thing is that when you up the amount of money, like, for instance, if uh, if I said I have $23 and I'm going to give you $8, mm-hmm. then you start to see people go, oh, okay, well, that's that's a little bit fairer. And the the part of the brain, the um, the anterior insula, actually starts to die down a little bit hmm. in terms of activity as a way to tamp down this to say, okay, let's start to be rational about this because now the stakes are getting a little bit higher. There's a little bit more money here. And it really, I think, is very telling on how we um, make some of our decisions. Huh. So this is definitely the part of the brain that's lighting up when you've just had a dinner with uh, some friends at a restaurant and you have to figure out how the bill works. Or, or even when, like, far before the bill comes, say when uh, the guacamole comes out or the pizza is placed on the table mm-hmm. and food has to be divvied up. And I can see that kicking in, you know, because you're wondering about how things are going to be uh, distributed out. and parsed yeah. out and, and then how are they going to be paid for. Like, even if you're not, like, a stingy kind of person who's counting the slices of pizza mm-hmm. as they leave the table, like, your brain can't help but sort of think in, in those terms, right? Well, and they've seen this in babies. They've seen this in primates, too, mm-hmm. that there's a sense of injustice, uh, study after study, that, that people are 
mentally taking notes on what is being parsed out at that mm. time. Well, because, I mean, we have to live in a community. We have to live in some sort of a, a, a group, be it a primitive uh, group that is uh, just you know crawling through the grasses in prehistoric uh, times or a, a community of people who are trying to figure out how in the heck they're going to do the tip with a Groupon uh, discount at a restaurant, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's just a recipe for disaster right there. Yeah. Yeah, the whole Groupon thing. Uh, not to say that I haven't taken advantage of it. It's great. But yes, um, you, you have to come to some sort of point of cooperation. And like you said, that's that's what really makes a society. That's, that's the glue of it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more of the science of greed. All right, we're back. Why do donuts distract Homer Simpson? Why is Homer Simpson obsessed with, with donuts? If we had to boil this down to a single, oh, I don't know, brain hormone, what would it be? Uh, delicious dopamine. Exactly. Just the mere thought of the donut can re- can result in dopamine uh, release. Just the, the the anticipation of rewarding yourself with those uh, delicious calories. I right? have to say, I think I might be salivating a little bit right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm picturing the. I don't even really eat donuts, but I'm picturing that uh, that Simpsons donut with the pink uh, mm-hmm, icing and the sprinkles. Yeah, mm-hmm. dopamine keeps popping up in these podcasts we're doing. I mean, it, dopamine pops up a lot because it's uh, anytime we're trying to figure out neurologically why we do the things we do. Because mm-hmm. dopamine is the reward juice, and uh, most of the well, not most, but uh, a lot of the things we do are about releasing that chemical, about achieving the reward. Our life is kind of this game. And when we uh, we actually hit the points where we get the achievements, we get the dopamine. That's right. It's not surprising that it would show up here. It, show, it seems to have shown up in all the other sins. And it's one of these things that we learned a game a long time ago. Primitive man kind of figured out what was going on with the dopamine and, and figured out, hey, I can actually cheat and get all the dopamine I want, right? So we end up with this whole legacy of bad habits and addictions and, uh, and sins, uh, if you will. And greed seems to play especially well with dopamine because it's tied up in three of the big needs that we have in life. The needs for safety, the need for approval, and the need for esteem, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we need safety because we want to survive. We need approval because we want to live in a community. Uh, and we need esteem because we want to rise up in that community. And money, as it happens, can pretty much buy any of those things. You have right. enough money, you can buy safety for yourself. If you want to be approved of, you can buy the right clothing, you can buy the mm-hmm. right lifestyle to do that. And if you want esteem, uh, as pretty much any, say, presidential election or, or, uh, um, you know, uh, or any kind, any kind of political candidate, uh, illustrates, you can buy that if you have enough money mm-hmm. and enough will to invest in it. So money is the ultimate dopamine inducer. If money in and of itself doesn't, uh, cre- uh, fuel the dopamine, then it can buy something that will. Which makes sense again why people would be chasing that high with, with wealth or greed, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it actually plays into something that has been called the Scrabble strategy before. Okay. And again, we're talking about the short term versus the long term. And the Scrabble strategy is actually called the greedy algorithm. And okay. this is a, a computational mathematics term. And basically, it says that you can do well by making whichever move seems best at that moment and not worrying too much about future consequences. And in mathematics, the greedy algorithm builds up a solution piece by piece, always choosing the next piece that offers the most obvious and immediate benefit. So for us, right, that would translate to dopamine, ding, ding, ding. Okay, so in the Scrabble scenario, the the idea here is that I get a high number value tile, Uh like an X or a Z or something. I'm better off holding on to it, but instead I play it immediately, right? 
Yeah, because, okay. I mean, that I'm is... I'm not playing the long game. Right. It's not I'm like chess where game. you have to really consider, you know, th- uh, three moves ahead. You just have to... In Scrabble, it really is. Like, whatever you have right in front of you at that very moment, you have to play. And you'll you'll benefit from that strategy. Hmm. So, you know, the, this, that's what greed sort of falls into, is this greedy algorithm. Although the greedy algorithm obviously isn't sustainable, because at some point you have to... Uh, you know, inhabit your future brain, right? And start thinking about the consequences. Yeah, and I guess with human lives, uh, the problem is that by the time you start realizing you need to play the long game, there's not uh, in many cases there's not that much game left. I don't know. You, you tend to see that a lot. I mean, it's like, like we said earlier, it's like people end up not caring during the rich years, mm-hmm. during the the bountiful years. Uh, which are they? They're the grasshopper, right? The grasshopper and the ant. That sounds right. Yeah, because the grasshopper. Salad days, halcyon. Yeah, the ant in the fable, right, is is piling away for the uh, the, the coming winter, and mm-hmm. the grasshopper is like, "Woo, I'm having a great time." And then it gets cold, and the ant's like, "I'm set," and the grasshopper dies. It's kind of a right, a bummer right. Of or a from story. Citizen Kane, your rosebud. You've Wait, lost <laughs> your rosebud. I don't know. What, if that I, can't, actually, I can't leap to that logic. I don't know if that actually plays in all that well, but I don't know. He was chasing after greed. Yeah. Well, he was. He was. He is another iconic, uh, greedy character. But, but yeah, when we're in the midst of the of the plenty, we're not thinking about the long long game, and it's easier to think about the long game when there's not that much game left. I don't know if I'm making sense on that. No, no, I, I'm yeah. getting it. I'm yeah. getting it. If if you are obsessed your whole life with uh, chasing after the precious mm-hmm. and uh, and trying to uh, battle do battle with the sneaky little hobbitses for the yeah. precious. Well, the precious was pretty awesome. It was one of yeah. the rings of power. So, I mean, I. I, you you, you kind of have to side with Gollum on that one. I know, but the point is that you could you could waste your entire life, you know, obsessing over the precious, yeah, that's and then true. you no longer have a life. You just have a shiny he, object. He did get to travel pretty well, and he lived a long life. <laughs> so, so I don't know what's going on here, Robert Lamb. I'm I'm just saying, you know, don't, yeah, greedy got is coming out. Don't you know hate on Smeagol too much because uh, you know he, he got to see the world of Middle Earth and. You know, and he, and he, his spoiler, he dies by falling into a volcano, which is something I, I kind of want for myself. So he, he had a good okay, run. Okay, so they, we are revealing something about you right now and your affinity for Smeagol. Like, imagine if your, if your obituary said something like, Robert Lamb passed away today when he fell into Mount Doom. Like, that's pretty, right. that's pretty awesome. After chasing absolute power. <laughs> well... <laughs> Well, that makes it sound kind of sad, I guess. All right. Yeah, You've got a, you got a point. We were discussing uh, earlier, like, the, the, the research into, into greed doesn't go quite as deep as some of the other ones we've, we've talked about. Yeah, but, I was thinking about Dante. I was like, yeah, of course, he's like, this is awful, this is bad. It's awful, but, it's bad, but I'm not really going to devote a lot of time to yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> same thing with researchers so far. I mean, I guess a lot of it's kind of surface level. It comes down to we want money because money makes um, a lot of things possible. It allows us to have safety. It allows us to... To eat, to to have shelter, it allows us to move through life. So of course we want it. And like with all the sins we've looked at, there's like a tipping point between um, like a normal level of wanting money and an unbalanced level. You know what I think would be interesting is some research on the super wealthy and mm-hmm. wondering whether or not if you reach a certain point of wealth that you become more altruistic and you actually become more ethical. That is because a number of uh, billionaires have taken that pledge to mm-hmm. uh, to donate a large portion of their their wealth to charities. Mm-hmm. And there are for every uh, you know miserly Scrooge McDuck type individual in the world, you can you can generally think of someone else who is using their fortune or at least a large portion of their fortune to try and do good things, mm-hmm. and not just as a tax write off. Right, right, right. Yeah. 
So yeah, I would like to see more more numbers on that for sure. Because there are there are certainly some individuals that really make a case for the old adage, money corrupts and money's the root of all evil. But then there are some individuals who seem to stand apart from that and, and really give us a little hope. Yeah, and, and some people who I'm sure are at four-way stop and they're driving a, a luxury car, that, that actually, uh, they're not jerks. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Let me get the, let Dante have the last word on this, though, uh, because there's a lovely little line. And this is, of course, translated from the Italian. And, and this is Virgil talking to uh, Dante. He says, Now you can see, my son, the brief mockery of the goods that are committed to fortune, for which the human race so squabbles. For all the gold that is under the moon and that ever was could not give rest to even one of these weary souls. He says that as they're looking at the, the tortured in hell. So there you go. All right. So there you have it. Uh, one of our favorite episodes from one of our favorite series. Uh, if you'd like to hear the other episodes in the Seven Deadly Sins series, then be sure to hit, check out StuffToBlowYourMind.com. Just drop Seven Deadly Sins or your favorite sin, uh, you know, be it wrath or greed or envy, into the search uh, box there, and you will find what you're looking for. Uh, also at StuffToBlowYourMind.com, you'll find all of our podcast episodes, all of our videos, our blog posts, you name it, as well as links out to our social media accounts. And if you would like to share your thoughts with us, please do so. Also, do you do the alpha male move in the car when you're driving? Do you, do you have those sort of postures? You can tell us all about it by sending us an email at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 